Today we continue our study on the book of Acts. Last Sunday we were talking about the church in Corinth. And today we will look at the church in Ephesus. And it is, the context of it is rather different. Let's turn now to Acts chapter 19. And we will read from verse 13 to 20. Acts chapter 19, verse 13 to 20. Let us pray. Father, speak your truths to us. Allow us to know Christ seated above all things and all creation and Christ who works and lives in us. So Lord, we ask now, let your Holy Spirit bring your word and your truth into our lives. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Acts chapter 19, verse 13. Some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. They would say, In the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. Seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. One day, the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know and Paul I know about, but who are you? Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them all. He gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. When this became known to the Jews and Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized to fear, and the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honour. Many of those who believed now came and openly confessed what they had done. A large number who had practised sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. When they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachmas. In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. There's something that, several things that are rather bizarre in this story and really raises quite a few questions. The first was that these sons of Sceva, these Jew, Jews, they were actually sons of a high priest. Those, so they were not just simple people, they were people of high regard within the religion. And they attempted to cast out an evil spirit. And they invoked the name of Jesus Hadn't we heard so often that when you use the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, demons would flee? And these seven sons of Sceva then invoked the name of Jesus. But rather than fleeing, the demons initially just tolerated, just bore with these guys because it said that several days, they, they just kept quiet. And then suddenly, one day, in verse 15, the evil spirit answered them and said, Jesus, I know, Paul, I know about. Who are you? Spirit was probably really irritated with these guys who were performing an act of trying to cast them out. And suddenly they, they showed their true selves. And they, this man, this man possessed by evil spirits, just one man overpowered seven other, seven exorcists. Not only did this demon-possessed man overpower the seven exorcists, he beat them up and they ran naked and bleeding. This was a show of power that began to allow the people in Ephesus, um, let me see if this works. To realize that demons were not to be trifled with. But before I go into that, the second point that is right quite bizarre is that this was an example of the failure of exorcism, and this was the cause of the growth of Christianity. Usually it is victory over the powers of darkness that people come to Jesus. But instead, in this case, 
the demon-possessed man over, overpowered seven, seven exorcists. And because of that, when this became known to the Jews, verse 17, the Greeks, uh, Jews and Greeks in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear and the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honour. So it was a failure of deliverance that brought people to worship God. And in verse 20, it says, In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. So it was an unusual story because rather than victory, there was defeat. And in this defeat, the word of the Lord spread throughout the region. What can we learn from this passage and this story? First of all, do not trifle with demons. Sometimes we play games with demons. At other times, we try to exorcise. We do strange things. We, we think that it's easy and it's, we, there are self-made exorcists. What this story tells us is that often the, the demons are just forbearing with all the things, all the attempts to exorcise. In this case, the seven sons of Sceva were you invoking the name of Jesus and the demons were just leaving them alone maybe just humouring them and letting them do all the shouting, until one day they had a show of force. And in that show of force, just one man possessed by demons beat up seven people and drove them out. That was how powerful the demons were. We think that we can handle demons. Sometimes self-made exorcists come and cast out. And we wonder, we wonder whether it's real power or it's just fake. We don't take it seriously. In this instance, there was a show of power. Same truth about demons is that there are lots of people who are held in bondage to demons. In the, in the sentence before the one that we read, it says that God did in verse 11, and it's not something we read, but we did that on Friday. God did extraordinary miracles through Paul, and then illnesses, those with illnesses were cured and evil spirits left them. Evil spirit seems to be a very common thing in Ephesus. But when you think about it, evil spirits are very common in our heartlands, in, our, in Singapore as well. While we were working, in, my wife and I were working in prison, we realised that there were far more people who were possessed by demons than there were people who weren't. That virtually most of the prisoners we dealt with had demons possessing them. And the demons came from, some from birth, some from upbringing, some from trauma, some from sin, some from just allowing the evil spirits in self-inflicted possession. But we discovered that there were so many people who were possessed by demons, and so it's not a simple, it's not an easy thing. My colleague, in, my former colleague in Barker Road who worked with Indonesians also found that in her congregation there were people, and casting out demons was not an unusual thing. There are many, many people who are bound by evil spirits. In Ephesus, in Singapore. And when we think about serving the community, it's one thing that we need to know that there are lots of people who are bound by, by evil spirits. But we need to know also that evil spirits are not to be trifled with. You see, this story of the seven sons of Sceva being beaten up by a demon-possessed man so gripped the region, that Jews and Greeks living in Ephesus were seized with fear. Suddenly, they realized that demons were not to be played with, they were not to be trifled with. And the fear so gripped them that people brought their scrolls 
the sorcerers brought the scrolls to be burned. It says 50,000 drachma. One drachma is a day's wages. 50,000 is 50,000 days' wages. Now imagine that if a day's wages was $100, that's $5 million. $5 million worth of scrolls brought there to be burnt. How rife was sorcery in that place? That too is not an unusual thing. But what was powerful then was that each of these people who were practicing sorcery suddenly were gripped by fear, not by conviction of the Holy Spirit. They did not see their sin, but what they saw was how powerful the evil spirits were and they realized, hey, we are playing with fire. Let's run from it. They were gripped with fear when they realized the things, the powers that they were playing with. Never to trifle with demons or evil spirits. Those who had believed, those who had become believers, it says, came and openly confessed what they had done. And once again, it wasn't the conviction of the Holy Spirit. It was simply the realization that the powers of darkness are nothing to be trifled with. And they came and they publicly confessed their sins, acknowledging that they were in the grips of the evil one. And so the first lesson that we need to realize is that we fight. The underworld is not something to play with that we are battling with forces that we do not understand. And often, when we trifle with them, we get ourselves into trouble. In Ephesians chapter 6 then, this is the context because um, Paul was ministering in Ephesus and Ephesus had a lot of these problems. Um, and Paul wrote there, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Paul wanted the Ephesians to know that it's no simple battle. That it's a battle against authorities, powers of the dark world, things, invisible beings that they do not understand that have great influence on their lives. He used the analogy of a battle one does not go into physical battle in a, in a physical battle unprepared. One does not trifle with the armies. I remember visiting um, South Korea in the demilitarized zone, the DMZ. And we were very, very clearly warned, when you are there, you don't play the fool. You don't make signs. You don't run. You don't do sudden movements because any sudden movement, you get shot down. You take it seriously. So at that DMZ, we were really careful knowing that as the North Koreans were pointing their guns, any silly movement, any trifling might result in any of us getting shot. But that's on the physical battle. Can you imagine what it is like in the spiritual battle as we dabble with sin, as we allow the evil one to have, take a foothold, as we play with things we do not know? But the question is, why, did, why didn't the sons of Sceva succeed in driving out evil spirits? After all, they invoked the name of Jesus. Wasn't that enough? Well, there is. We need to recognize that Jesus has authority over demons. We see in, we see in verse verse. 17, 
that even as the people were seized with fear when they heard this, the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honour and people came to confess their sins. People who were steeped in sorcery or the common people saw on the one hand that the evil spirits were powerful and yet on the other hand they saw that Jesus was more powerful because in that conversation the demon-possessed man said to the sons of Sceva, Jesus, I know. That in that underworld, even in the underworld, they knew who the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords was. So the problem wasn't with the name of Jesus or the authority of Jesus or the power of Jesus that the spirits could not be removed. Jesus does have authority. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18 and 22, Paul writes about the spiritual battle and he says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know his incomparably great power for us who believe. Paul prayed that the Christians, the church, would know the power that they have. Power that is for those who believe. The power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised, that is the mighty strength that God exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church. So several things to note. First is that there is great power in Christ. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion and every name that is invoked. That Jesus has authority over every single thing, including the demons and the devil. And everything is placed under his feet. And God appointed that, gave Jesus all that power for the sake of the church. Which means that the church now inherits the power of Jesus it is not simply that Jesus had that power, but Jesus became the head of the church to lead the church in that battle. And so while on the one hand we do not trifle with demons, on the other hand we recognise that Jesus is above all, that he has authority over all things and power over all things. And these spirits and dominions are at his feet. There is great power in Jesus. But you see, the reason the, the, reason the um, sons of Sceva were unable to cast out the demons was that they mistakenly thought that as long as they invoked the name of Jesus, everything would be alright. But it is not in the name, but faith and compassion of Jesus. The ability to cast out demons was not in just invoking the name, just like saying it like some magic and sometimes we think that it is a magic incantation, just in the name of Jesus, I command you to leave. And this incident showed it wasn't in the use of the name that cast out demons. Rather, it was the faith and compassion of Jesus. In Ephesians chapter 3, Paul continues, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. It is not just using his name externally, it is Christ in us, Christ in our hearts that does the powerful work. Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, 
may have the power together with the Lord's holy people to grasp how high and long, wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. It boils down to Christ being in our hearts by faith and knowing the love of God and knowing the love of Christ that allows us victory over the evil one. It is approaching a person who is demon-possessed with the compassion of Jesus that gives us the power to cast out demons. And you know the reality is this, that God calls each of us to do that, not by just invoking the name or going for some training and knowing how to do it, but when He fills our hearts with compassion and we realize that a person who is possessed by the evil one is in great torment, then we are compelled to deliver the person from the grips of the evil one, even if we don't think we are strong. But because we are part of the church and because of compassion and the compassion of Christ, He gives us that authority. One of the most poignant stories in the Bible is the one I find in Mark chapter 4, the end of Mark chapter 4, and the beginning of Mark chapter 5. I'll just tell you what the story is. Jesus had had a busy day of ministry, and then he said to his disciples, let's cross over to the other side. Now, the disciples didn't have a single idea, a clue what was happening. But Jesus said, let's cross over to the other side. And when they crossed to the other side, they got into the boat. There was a huge storm. The storm was so threatening that the people feared for their lives, and the disciples even shouted, Lord, Lord, don't you care that we perish? That was how frightening it was boat went through a storm and landed on the other side. And what was on the other side? Well, first of all, on the other side, there were tombs. That was a graveyard. It was unclean. Jesus brought his disciples through, to an, through a storm to an unclean place, which was most inconvenient. But more than that, they would be defiled. And then what did they see there? They saw a man who was so possessed by de demons and he was so strong and violent that no one could chain him up. This man was possessed by a legion of demons. And Jesus set him free. But one would have thought that if Jesus did such a miracle, he would have wanted the whole village to know. But the next moment, of course, the demons ran to the pigs. And the next moment, the villagers of that place told Jesus to get out. Meaning that he didn't have a single convert in that incident. Well, he had one convert. The man himself was demon-possessed. No one else was there. It wasn't some big rally, some display of his power. You think about it. Jesus took all that effort to bring his disciples through a storm, go to a, to a graveyard on tombs to defile themselves, just to set one man free. That was all. It was no publicity stunt. It was no show of power so that others would come to believe him. All that effort just for one man. We sang that song, I have a maker, he knows my name, he knows my every need, he knows when I cry. But that's the compassion of Jesus. He does that for every, for one single person because he sees that person in great turmoil and he goes for that person to set him free. Demon Deliverance isn't an art. Deliverance isn't for heroes. Deliverance is for every person who has the compassion of Christ and has the belief that Christ not only has the power, but that Christ has the love for the people. 
And then we are called to set others free. Sometimes demon possession is very obvious. Sometimes it's less obvious. Sometimes it's in a person who is very, very troubled. Sometimes it calls for direct confrontation and to cast demons out. At other times, it is just a soft word and a prayer. We have seen demons leave. I, I have not delivered as many demons. I think my wife did a lot more deliverance. I did barely any. I did one main one. But that one taught me a whole lot of things. Some weeks ago, I taught, told you about the story of this um, um, Orchard Towers murder. But there were some other details to it. You see, when I found out that this man, Michael, he was a Brit, he was um, demon-possessed, the first thing I did then was to attempt deliverance. So I stood a few feet away from him and I shouted at the demons, in the name of Jesus, leave. Nothing happened. Shouted again, in the name of Jesus, leave him now. And then I looked at Michael's face. It was, it was just pale and shaken and he was gripped with fear. And so as I was taught, you know, you stop and you look at him and you ask him, how are you feeling? And he said, I'm terrified. I said, why? Because the demons are telling me that they'll just sit aside, being British, they would sit aside and have scones and tea until I left. <laughs> and then they would come back and torment him. You know, this spine-chilling thing just went through me. It was like, my goodness, what am I playing with? I just ordered a group of demons, and this man had inflicted himself with a lot of demons. I just ordered a group of demons, and now they're just sitting there having scones and tea, waiting for me to get lost, and then they would come back and torment him. What had I gotten myself into? I was really gripped with fear. And yet I knew that God wanted to set him free. Because in the conversation we talked, I asked him, what does it feel like from, from 1 to 10? What would it would be like? And he said, I would not even wish this on my worst enemy. That's how tormenting it is. And then we talked about his children and the Holy Spirit just guided me then. I wasn't going to cast them out myself, but Holy Spirit, God certainly wanted to deliver him. We talked about his children and then I asked him, inspired by God, I asked him, what would you do if your children were the ones possessed? And he said, I would tell my children, I tell the demons, leave my children and come to me. And at that moment, the Holy Spirit said, well, tell him that that's what Jesus did. Jesus told the demons, come to me and leave him in peace. And I said, Thank, just say to Jesus, Lord Jesus, thank you for offering to take the demons upon yourself and setting me free. I left not knowing what would happen. A few days later, I went back to see him and all the demons had left. But it's not about us, it's not about invoking the name, it's not about our power. It is simply about Jesus wanting to set people free and using the church giving the authority to the church, that's all of us, to do that. Believing that Jesus will do it because he has compassion on people. All of us are called to step up. You know, I'm the, usually definitely the non-confrontational type of person. I wouldn't want to shout at demons. It doesn't matter. What matters is that Jesus wants to set people free. He will do it.
Setting people free from demons isn't the only thing. It is about our fight with the evil one. One thing we need to know is that the one, the source, the demons in a person, demon-possessed person, and the sins that hold us have the same source. And that source is the devil. And so while we say that I'm not demon-possessed, there's nothing in me, but I am bound by a lot of sinful habits, I'm bound by sin, I am always living sinfully. Just know that the source is the same, it's still the devil. And just know that the person who is demon-possessed is held in a dungeon by a demon inside him. But we who have no demons inside us are also held captive by our sin because we have chosen to stay on that side. And we are as captive, as held captive by the devil as the person who is demon-possessed. In verse 19, Acts chapter 19, verse 18, it says, Most many of those who believed now came and openly confessed what they had done. It's not about sorcery alone. They realized that they were bound by the devil because of their sin. And they came to confess to God, came to confess to Paul all their sins, which means a repentance, really. They turned over. You see, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 27 says, do not give the devil a foothold. That means do not let the devil walk into your life. But what was the context of that? It was not about self-inflicting demon possession or asking demons to come to you. That passage, the context of that passage is about anger, lying, and stealing. Basically, simple sins. Do not continue to indulge in your sins of telling lies, in your sins of uncontrolled anger, in your sins of stealing. Because that gives the devil a foothold. It allows the devil into your life. It may not be possession. The devil has many ways of taking advantage of you. And then, in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31 and 32, it says, Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. Paul is saying, avoid the sins that have a grip on your lives. Because anything that allows the devil to be in control, whether it is in demon possession, or it is in staying on in sin, it is still bringing ourselves into the dungeon of the devil. And Jesus came to set us free. Having been set free, we don't allow the devil to step into our lives. We often think about Christianity as moral, but morality is not about doing things well or avoiding sin because God will be angry with us. What we understand is that we want to avoid sin not because we are afraid that God will be angry with us. We avoid sin because we don't want the devil to drag us back into the dungeon and chain us up. We want to live free. And we want to help others to live free. And God has one purpose out of love for us, to help us to live free. And He will find us wherever we are, not to punish us, He'll find us wherever we are, that He might set us free. Just like He did with the man who 
demented men in garrisons. God will find us out not to hurt us, but to deliver us. And as we pray about God using us, then we need also, we can also believe that Christ has full authority over demons, over sin. And we can be used by God as his instruments to do that. And so, to quickly summarize, demons are powerful and pervasive. They are everywhere. Do not trifle with them. The church is called to exercise Christ's authority to defeat the forces of evil and cast out demons out of Christ's love for people. And demons and sin have the same source, the devil. Those who are demon-possessed and those who indulge in sin are equally enslaved by the devil. In our battle with the forces of darkness, we must fight them within us and outside of us. Let us pray. Father, out of your love, out of your great love for us, you call us to walk out of darkness. You come to set us free. Father, we ask then that we will no longer walk back into the dungeon after you have set us free. Allow us to know that all authority is within us, all authority is given to us to overcome the evil one, to step away from sin. Because, Lord, all authority is under your feet. Lord, we ask then that you will indeed give us that faith to believe it. So I pray for each of us first, for myself, for my brothers and sisters, that we may know that we are no longer in bondage to the evil one, but that we are free. And Lord, where we struggle with sin, help us to realize that we can turn to you on our knees and you will draw us away from the evil one. But it's not only for us, Lord, that we know that, that you have called us not only to be away from sin, but to set others free as well. We ask then that in various ways, whether in gentle ways or in powerful ways, your compassion will be upon us as we look upon people who are bound by their sin and you, you inspire us, you guide us, your spirit will lead us as to how to set them free as well. We acknowledge that all of these are beyond us. None of these are within our powers. We don't want to trifle with experiments of heroism, of heroics. We don't want to be that hero, Lord. We simply want to be your instruments, instruments of your compassion and your grace. And so, Lord, wherever we are, in our homes, in our workplaces, in our neighbourhood, in the church, help us, Lord, to see your compassion upon those who are tormented by, by the devil. And then, Lord, to take your instructions as to how to set them free. We thank you, Lord, that you have placed and handed such power and authority in our hands. And you have given us your Holy Spirit to discern what to do, to use that power and authority wisely. 
Help us, Lord, as we turn to you and wait upon you and you lead us. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.